The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Coffee and Cream with Rodgers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Dejon Edwards in the backfield. Play fake. Stett sets up to throw. Pressure coming on. Wide open. McConkey reaches up high. Touchdown. Touchdown, McConkey. Nobody near him. Boy, just an out and up there by McConkey and not a horn frog in sight. Back with you on Hale Varsity Radio. It's Coffee and Cream in the Morning, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage, powered by Currency. It's Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers, and on the phone, we've got Matt Brown. He is the senior editor of NCAA Football for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at MattBrownCFB. Matt, good morning. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Matt, good morning. How you been? Happy New Year. All right, a little sad, season is over and that it ended in such awful fashion. I'm glad at least we got some good semifinals out of it. Yeah, you know, you know what? Stay there, though, because all season long, this was the best team in college football, a.k.a. Georgia. I'm not really sure what Kirby Smart was saying before the game about being doubted. I don't really think anybody, not at least on our panel up here, DB and I had Georgia going all the way from the very beginning. But what did this win actually reveal for, for Georgia? Oh, I mean, it's we're we're in on the verge of dynasty territory now. I mean, you got the first repeat national champion since Alabama in 2011-2012, and they chance to be the first three-peat in the poll era. I mean, the last team to three-peat was Minnesota in 1934, 35, and 36, and the 36 was the first year of the AP poll. So nobody's done this, and Georgia's presumably going to. Uh, open at number one next year, I, I would think. They're already number one in a lot of the early rankings. And uh, I don't think there's going to be... Kirby Smart's going to have to work a lot harder to try to drum up the disrespect uh, narrative because I don't think anybody's going to be disrespecting Georgia for a while. So, Matt, how about the irony of, you know, Pollock, the Georgia guy, sitting next to Saban, the Bama guy, and they're having honest conversations and they're going back and forth. And, I mean, Nick's had to, or Coach Saban's had to... Um, come to some realizations of some things of his program. Do you, is is it simply enough when you look at the landscape, whether it's Michigan or Bama or Ohio State, is being motivated or an, enough, or is there a way to work smarter to play quicker catch-up? I mean, motivation is such a key tool for the teams as they try to like sustain dynasties. I mean, that, that's kind of the most impressive thing about what Nick Saban's done at Alabama is not only, you know, winning multiple national championships, but then constantly reinventing himself and hiring new staffs and dealing with that coaching turnover and dealing with NFL departures. And, you know, Kirby Smart's already done it once and they've reinvented that offense under Todd Munkin and they've you know, last year, how many draft picks did they lose from that defense and to come back and to win a national championship game 65-7 to 7 
to go 15 and 0 to you know remember they started the season winning 46 to or 49 to 3 against Oregon which finished in the top 15 uh, you know the the battle is always against complacency and Georgia certainly <laughs> showed no signs of lack of motivation going into 2022 it's you know how do you sustain that how do you keep trying to invent motivation uh, obviously Georgia has as much talent or more than anybody but it's you know staying fresh on the coaching staff it's replenishing with all the NFL departures that are surely going to come again yeah you mentioned uh you know the year prior and now even like you said you know Georgia will lose some stars but we saw the replacements come in during the fourth and you know frankly they look just as good uh, what does this say about Georgia's ability to recruit and maybe what can teams around the league learn from what they do? Oh, well, as far as learn, that, that is tough <laughs> because, I mean, we just continue to see this breakaway of the top few teams in terms of talent, like Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, the way they recruit and just the portion of top 100 recruits they get. But then again, you look at Georgia and it's also player development when you have a walk-on quarterback in Stetson Bennett, uh, you know, and you have uh, Lad McConkey wasn't exactly a superstar recruit either, and, you know, it's a mix of player development and superstar talent and coaching creativity, and I guess if you look at two of those three things, Texas A&M doesn't have it, for example, as a competitor who just signed the number one recruiting club last year, but has not developed at the same rate, has not been creative enough on offense, and has fallen behind. So Georgia kind of is the total package where, you, yes, to compete for national championships or to win national championships, you generally have to sign top five, top ten classes. But we've seen that not pan out for Texas repeatedly or Texas A&M or USC. Georgia is kind of the total package of Kirby Smart bringing over the best of what he learned from Nick Saban and developing a ridiculous recruiting machine, but also developing talent. And just the way that they – take advantage of that talent and spread the ball around and have depth. Uh, it's kind of taken that to a new level, and it's it's hard to keep up, that's for sure. Uh, Matt, p- December has the potential to be a busy month. We're over here trying to problem solve, and uh, y- y- with playoff expansion, the portal, early signing period, I, if we made you czar for a day, would, <laughs> what, would one go? Would you move them? I, I just – something's going to have to give in that month of December. Selfishly, I hate the December signing period and recruiting. <laughs> I liked when it was, you know, February is the big deal and you had some time to deal with it. And I, I do think, I, I understand why the early signing period was created. I understand why some say that there should be a signing period before the season. Uh, but there are a lot of landmines with dealing with coaching changes and the transfer portal at the same time as, signing and now you're going to have a 12-team playoff and personally I would like to see the then go back to the old dining period in February and create some time for coaching changes and you know the problem with the early signing period is that it's accelerating the timeline for coaching changes so coaches are getting fired earlier and earlier it's just created a kind of a giant mess for a couple months so I do feel like something has to give at some point because December is just overwhelming for everybody and it's only going to get more so with when you add multiple rounds of playoff games in there. Matt, TCU proved that you don't need to have a team full of all-stars to make a run. 
Uh, with the college football playoff expanding in the near future, how does seeing a team like that maybe reassure the skeptics that aren't a huge fan of the expansion? It's interesting because I don't know which way it's going to go. Because on one hand, you think one of the reasons for expansion is that it gives more teams a chance and thus maybe that can break up kind of the recruiting monopoly or however you term it in that more teams are going to have a chance and maybe that'll spread the talent around. The transfer portal can help spread the talent around too because guys are going to be looking for opportunities and more teams might be appealing and that more teams can make the playoffs. So in that respect, I, I think there is hope for more parity and TCU is kind of a small step toward that. On the other hand, if you add another round of playoffs or two rounds of playoffs, it also gets harder for a team like TCU to make a run all the way to the championship. I mean, I think Cinderella runs are certainly harder in football than, than basketball. And, you know, it was one thing for a team to have a dream season, make the BCS title game and win one game against a team with top tier talent. Another thing to do it twice, as we saw this year, TCU gets to the playoff, pulls off an upset against a Michigan team that did not play its best game and then runs into an absolute juggernaut in Georgia that just has more talent, more depth. But now going to 12 teams, a team like TCU is going to have to win extra games and and to survive a bigger gauntlet. So I have hope for more parity, but also, I don't know. We'll we'll see if if, if anybody can survive the grind or just the top teams Mm -hmm. rise to the top because then you fear that in Alabama that, was underperformed this year could suddenly start, you know, playing at the peak of its talent and go on a run in the, in the playoffs. So uh, I, I think you could argue both ways, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, would you have liked to have seen a little more conference uniformity before the expansion? Personally, yeah. I, I, I wish that everybody would play eight conference games, everybody would play nine conference games. I, in one, on one hand, I do like the messiness of college football as somebody who's nostalgic for the messiness of the past sometimes, but um, I don't know. I, I think it makes sense to try to even the playing field a little bit, especially as we have automatic bids for conference champions and stuff like that. It just, it, it the eight versus nine argument and, and how schedules are rotated. I, I understand giving some conferences flexibility, but yeah, I think I would like to see some uniformity. Matt, you're the best man. We appreciate your time this morning. Have a great day. You got it. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thanks, Matt. That's Matt Brown, senior editor of NCAA Football for The Athletic. You can toss him a follow on Twitter again, at Matt Brown College Football CFB. Before we go to break, I want to give you a quick uh, nugget about Dingman's Collision Center. They've been in the business for over 25 years in Omaha. They're family-owned and family-run local business. Invest in the latest technology to stay up-to-date with the ever-evolving technology of your vehicles. They work on all makes and models from Fords to Teslas, Four locations throughout the metro area, along with a standalone mechanical shop at 120th and Maple. First place, Best of Omaha for 18 years running. Can you believe that, DB? I can believe it. Joel Lorenzi's next.